The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, still bent out of shape about getting cut out of his back end for After the Thrones, it's Andy Greenwald. Whoa, I don't think you should talk about that on this podcast. (laughs) Casey Bloys listens. I feel like when there's active litigation. We never really figured out what happened to the tapes there and and like whether or not we're making our, our jump to HBO Max or not. It's Chris and Andy in the morning here on the East Coast. <laughs> Welcome to Monday, uh, United States of America and points beyond. We're here to talk about popular culture. Today on the menu, some personal check-ins and banter. Of A little course. bit of discussion about Scarlett Johansson and her contract squabs with uh, the Walt Disney Corporation. And then... Uh, just some, a grab bag of culture stuff, and then we'll do we'll do a little bit of White Lotus chatter at the end. Uh, first of all, Andy, another location for you. Uh, Andy and I have been crisscrossing the East Coast for the most of the summer, and like keep missing each other by just a few cities. I would say, and I, and I don't mean to like I like I, I know people are concerned about the new era of segregation now that we all have to get vaccinated so we don't die. But I feel bad anytime I make references to Le Bureau, our favorite television show, because I know not everyone went on that journey with us. But one of the things that I most appreciated about it is that if you are in the French Secret Service, already mm. a big if, and let's say you're in the field and something goes awry or you need to be exfiltrated, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Regardless of what you've done or who you are, whether you are a French national or a Syrian who is defecting, you are taken to the same absolutely beautiful and immaculate country house. That's right. Right, where the, you can just cook pasta and read novels and just be a part of the French countryside. And I respect that. As someone who has been jumping from safe house to safe house along the East Coast for almost four weeks now, I think the consistency modeled by the French in terms of their, um, it's not even a vacation, but in terms of their, you know, away from town, right? They're sort of, Taking a taking a breath, I feel like that is something they have I a really good work life balance, and I think that also shows with their place in the pecking order of Western powers. But like you know, I mean, you get to go and you just shots. read some you, shots fired against read the some Flaubert, and you know, right. just like that ability to kind of chill and you know have a have a brie, have and just a, Flaubert, yeah, and flow and just let the Flaubert flow. 
you you might not be like in the top two or three of the of the G eight conference or whatever or the G twenty, but like that's okay. And, and Chris, I speaking of East Coast check ins, you and I are both, of course, East Coast born and bred. You mm-hmm. know that that's why we are just famously tough. You know, thick skinned, um, knock around guys, if you will. I definitely, uh, as someone who has not been back to the East Coast in summertime prior to this month uh, for three years, I definitely talked a good game out in California, being like, yeah, the weather's great here, but you know, just to feel alive, I kind of miss humidity. You know, like that's my definition of summer. You probably heard me go I'm, on this I'm going spiel. to stop you right here. And yeah, start oh, I've stopped myself. Fact yeah. check you. You never complain about California weather. It is like the okay, most no, alienating true. thing about you is you're always just like... Mm, breathe in the deep forest fire smoke. <laughs> it makes you give it tear on your chest. You, the jasmine, the night blooming jasmine, covers the scent of forest fire and allows you to continue living there. Yeah. No, okay. I don't complain about California weather. It is far superior. But I mean, in terms of like, oh, this is how I remember summer. Yes, that or how you would I like to the have of the, time. the palette mixed up a little bit. Yeah. And I would like to retract those statements about summertime humidity on the East Coast because I'm having a lovely time, you know, and I think there are things that are just better out here like um, hoagie rolls and water ice and clams. Those are great, great things. We don't really get those. But I will say that last evening, and I already mentioned this to you briefly, when I went outside of the home that we are, we are staying in in search of bug spray, <laughs> I did see the Dr. Fauci of mosquitoes studying the ingredients list of the can of off being like, we've almost cracked it. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to win this battle out here. And I'm happy to remain on the sidelines. If the sideline is the West coast. Yeah. Uh, there's a, like, there's a lot of ticks in long Island. Did you, did you have you seen any ticks yet? I saw some ticks waving a <laughs> Trump flag at the Marina the other day. And I was like, this is a bad team up. Um, this is worrisome. Yeah, I, I was in Long Island too, and I found it to be like a little buggy. But that's okay, man. Sometimes you just got to get north. You got to get north. You got to freeze them out. <laughs> is, is, is that what Colin Farrell did in the Northwater? <laughs> Dude, have you watched another episode of Northwater though? I have not yet. I have not. I, I look forward to it, but it wasn't the hit in my household as it, you may have expected it to be. Um, do you, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, blah, 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 ch- chose violence, like the Cersei meme. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, right. you know, like the, the GM for the San Francisco Giants chose violence when he traded tra- tra- for Chris Bryant. Let me tell you something. The makers of the North Water chose violence specifically against water mammals. <laughs> like, I thought uh-huh. I thought we couldn't really top what happens in the first episode of North Water, which I won't spoil, nor will I, you know, turn anybody's stomach by describing. Let me just say the animal cruelty jumps up a notch in the second episode. Right, because, you know, there, there are two things that I've seen this summer uh, that I would, I would group together in terms of savagery. Uh-huh. One was uh, Colin Farrell, v <laughs> two dozen seals in the Northwater episode one. <laughs> two was my older daughter, V uh, Whack-A-Mole, uh-huh. at the boardwalk in uh, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Similar size creatures, similar intensity and focus. But what you're suggesting, and I've not watched yet, is that just the the target has grown, right, exponentially. Now we have graduated from seals to whales? Yes. Yes. Okay. And they great. really make the most of it. Let's just put it that way. It's still a great okay. show. Uh, can't wait to watch the third episode. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you about this Scarlett Johansson sitch. 
Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, last week's sort of the end of the week's major story was that Scarlett Johansson uh, was filing a lawsuit against Walt Disney, uh, the Walt Disney Company, specifically Walt Disney, not Marvel, which I thought was interesting. And it was in relation to the sum of money that she was paid to be in Black Widow versus right. uh, the release and the sort of divided or somewhat obscured idea of like what made Black Widow successful as a business proposition. So obviously it was put out in theaters. Scarlett Johansson, like a lot of Marvel stars, or at least the upper echelon of them, had a back-end participation deal with that. So basically mm -hmm. she got a percentage of the profits. This is sort of the same kind of deal that legendarily awarded $75 million reportedly to Robert Downey Jr. for Endgame, I think. So Scarlett Johansson... <laughs> I like that you said allegedly when the one time you interviewed Robert Downey Jr., you interviewed him in an aircraft carrier hangar, an aircraft hangar, right? And he was talking about no, no, how no. he was dealing with his birthday just, party. It was just in the basement of a Hilton or something like that. But he oh. did, he had just had his 50th birthday and he was, he had had Steely Dan play his <laughs> right. birthday at a, at an airplane hangar in the Santa Monica airport. Yeah, so I don't think you need to say allegedly in terms of his income, but please. <laughs> sure. Continue. Anyway, ScarJo was supposed to get this payday. Obviously, the pandemic has changed the you know release system of all popular culture, but movies especially, because there's not this reliable thing. Although the Jungle Cruise might might say, hey, we, we made plenty of money. And she's pissed off about it because she was supposed <laughs> to get... Stillwater would not say that from right. what I read this weekend. Right. Uh, she wanted to get this this huge back-end participation from a giant box office for a movie that people have been waiting for for a long time. And because Disney chose to release Black Widow day and date on Disney Plus for $30, but on Disney Plus, it just, it all got spread out across a bunch of different things. And now, you know, Scarlett Johansson is like, we need to renegotiate my, my payment since you guys renegotiated the terms of the release of this movie. Now, the surprising thing is not that Scarlett Johansson is necessarily annoyed by this, but that Disney's response was yeah. not in the uh, bridge-building business, I would say. Disney's response yeah. was like, that's fucked up that you said that. You know, like, it was like, you, like, we made a deal, and it's weird that you're invoking this during a time of COVID when everybody is struggling. You, you insulted him a little bit. A little bit. That's why I insulted him a little bit. Drinks around the house. I, I think that, first of all, I would like to begin with um, just the idea of challenging pay structures. And I want to just, in light of that, just make sure that you did receive my expense receipt for the $30 Disney Plus that I paid two weeks ago. I just want to make sure that you and Ringer Incorporated and Daniel Leck and everyone got I, that. I, I think that the mail going to Sweden is, is particularly slow, but you're, you, okay. you should see that soon. Q okay, Q122 at the latest. That seems fine with me in my timeline. Let me just get back to my business manager about that. Two, it's not just that Disney was like, hey, Disney was like, so many people have sacrificed so much during this time of viral pandemics. They were it's also gross like, we got want more money. We got Pew now. <laughs> yeah. It, it, all of it is. There, there. Are, it, this is significant on a lot of levels, I think. And let's go to let's go through them. And this news broke, by the way, I think right after we recorded last week. So apologies for our tardiness. You know, Chris and I are both also contract attorneys, so this was to our benefit to have more time to pour over the the, the legalese, if you will, and translate it for the layman. Number one point is, it's always a little bit 
gross or off-putting when super rich people are like, I should be a little bit more rich. But I do think that if you can get past that, it is worth pointing out the heart of this, which is anyone on the creative side of the ledger in Hollywood, whether they are the most highly paid actors or lesser paid actors or writers or all the way down to, to, to grips and lighting and wardrobe, there needs to be clarity from these mega, mega, mega international corporations about how uh, compensation is being factored in and how it's being paid out. Like, it's weird to think of Scarlett Johansson as a little guy here because she is not, but I do think it's worth considering the merits of her claim, which is fundamentally, I was promised to be paid this in exchange for my work and services. I was valued at this amount. I accepted that value of my work and services, and Disney has not met that. So I think that that's, that's the frame with which to consider it. The second piece of it, though, that did strike me as a surprise is I feel like this should have been handled. And one would imagine that from the minute Black Widow began getting delayed, which is a a year, right? I mean, wasn't this supposed to be in theaters last summer? Yeah. This has been going on in the background. And I'm sure people with much more time on their hands than us have gone through like Scarlett Johansson's public statements and tweets or whatever in the last year to notice any signs of discord or whatever. Because as soon as the the mega corporation started saying, we're going to have to look at theatrical release in light of the global events, there was a mad scramble behind the scenes. And some of those mad scrambles went public uh, with Warner Media, aka the leakiest sieve in Hollywood, uh, when all their movies shifted to day and date on HBO Max, right? And we heard about filmmakers being insulted and crushed and whatever, but we also saw every agent in town making the emoji money eyes face because they were like, now we can redo all these deals Mm -hmm. and we have them at our mercy because the, the, the corporations have said this is what they're doing. And so now they have to make it right. So we don't try to sink these things the way a lawsuit might potentially sink them or at least damage their public relations. So one has to imagine that if not Kevin Feige, the head of business affairs at the Walt Disney Corporation had been on the phone with Scarlett's people for months explaining how I this have was no going to work out. But right? the thing that's really, so I was trying to figure out over the weekend as I, as I sat here in my mom's house watching at least Black 50, Widow again and again. 55 hours of Olympics coverage and like the, the daily news or whatever she's watching. And I'm like, just losing my mind. I was like, is this the summer of the shark story? Like in any other, mm-hmm. in, in any other time with like Scarlett Johansson and Disney having an unfortunate end to their relationship or probably not even that because Disney is one of the only games in town. Like, would that be a big deal? Is this really like that controversial of a, a story? And then I thought about it some more and, you know, maybe it is and maybe it isn't, but I do think that there is an interesting, like, it puts a stardom under a different lens because movie stardom is something that's in some ways very ineffable. Like, you can watch Tom Cruise or Denzel Washington or Julia Roberts as we were growing mm-hmm. up and just be like, that's something that this is not. So they have something, this quality that is entirely impossible to describe, but like, you know it when you see it. Then there is the nuts and bolts of when this person's name is above the movie title, the movie does well. And mm-hmm. that gets into like The Rock. Like you just put him in a movie and the movie tends to do pretty well. If they are going to be doing these things where they're releasing movies on these streaming services a day of date, all of these streaming services are swimming in debt. There is no, this movie made $20 million or $80 million or $105 million over the long weekend. So... I wonder whether or not this is going to bring about or force a little bit of a different sense of accounting for the streamers. Because the kind of the, the, the 180s that they're doing where they're like, guess what? We're releasing your movie on the same day on HBO Max. That's some tech shit. That's some like at, in mm-hmm. Slack, 
in the general Slack, you get a team, an announcement about our plans. Guess what? We're now in this business. And like everybody's just supposed to go along with it, right? But with the movie business where everything is supposed to be relationships and it's obviously driven by Mm -hmm. stars, it's pretty amazing to see them go up to Denzel Washington and be like, you know what? Little Things is going to be on HBO Max this movie that you made, you know what I mean? And he was not apparently happy about that. And Scarlett Johansson, I don't think is happy about being finally getting the chance to top line one of these movies and having it be like, Oh, it made 32 million. So maybe we found out that nobody really cared about black widow anyway. You know what I mean? And Disney can be happy about their streaming numbers, but Scarlett Johansson's not seeing any of those $30 streaming tickets. She's also not seeing the, positive spin on the larger narrative she's spinning, which is her career. And mm-hmm. I think that you really got it right when you're talking about it being a relationship business still and perception mattering and egos mattering. And um, that divide is not something that can be fed into the algorithm. And that has in smaller skirmishes that has come up in the past when Netflix was negotiating deals or Amazon was negotiating deals or when Amazon first came to Hollywood, that was the whole thing that this company, this tech company doesn't know how to build these relationships or get stars because they're treating everything like binary code. And it's not that. And what does that mean to the consumer? I'm not sure, but it is worth noting that while many film stars have taken very lucrative TV roles in recent years and won awards for them. And, you know, that, that ceiling or divide that used to exist between the mediums really doesn't exist anymore. There is still, even now, this rarefied air of super, superstar who is acting in some ways, maybe because they can afford to, like it's still the 90s, mm-hmm. where I will do an espresso commercial in Japan, where you're not going to see it pre-YouTube, but I am a film star. And Denzel Washington has not done a TV show since, what, since St. Elsewhere, and he's not going to. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's not his bag. And I think it's worth noting, too, with someone like, not just Scarlett Johansson, because in the wake of her lawsuit, there was some reporting that Emma Stone was considering her options. For Cruella. Um, for and Cruella. Krasinski I, and Blunt, I think, had already done some work on their Quiet Place 2 deal because Paramount announced that they were going to put that up like 40 days. After 40 days, it was going to go yeah. from the theaters to Paramount Plus, which is where I, which admittedly is where I watched A Quiet Place 2. But they were like, that wasn't part of the deal. And also, Quiet Place 2 was the movie that basically was the first film that was like supposed to be the blockbuster of 2020s, early yeah. blockbuster of 2020. And they decided to wait a whole year rather than put it out on, on streaming. And I think I'm really glad you brought that up because I think what I wanted to say about Emma Stone was, you know, she's done TV, right? She did Maniac for Patrick Somerville and 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 Carrie Fukunaga. And she chose to do a challenging, interesting part on TV. That was not a big deal to her. She didn't feel like it was a lesser project. But with Cruella, she was like, okay, I'll do this big flashy thing. But the reasons that I'm doing it might not be the same reasons why Disney's making it. The reasons mm-hmm. she's doing it are probably career advice. Someone was just like, this is good for you to stay in the front lines of, you know, young people and TikTokers or whoever's watching that movie. She probably also had a great deal of fun being in London. Craig Gillespie's a good director, blah, blah, blah. But also money. It's cool. Yeah. You know, private school tuition is expensive. She's got a kid now. Fine. Make the money. So if you're doing it and it becomes a TV show anyway, that's got to rankle a little bit. That's just not the plan. I, that you maybe maybe it doesn't. Maybe it thing. doesn't. But they're, but like they're still playing whack-a-mole with like what is... If this many people, did they watch the movie? Did they? Now, the, the Black Widow thing is different because people actually have to pay to watch it. But if you're, yes. if you're in a movie in Denzel Washington, you're on little, in Little Things, 
and someone starts that movie. And I will admit, I liked parts of Little Things, but if you watch Little Things, there are some exit ramps from that movie where you're like, this actually is bad. You know, I, I will stick around and wait for Jared Leto, but this movie is right. not good. And I tend to watch movies don't have two people usually like walking out of the theater, but it's a much different experience when people are like, hey, I watched 10 minutes of that on HBO Max. And I, I like mean, to, to be fair, it is interesting. And I do this all the time too. And I think we do it constantly on the podcast. We pay for HBO, you know, one way sure. or another, whether it's through our cable bill or HBO Max subscription, but it is different than purchasing a ticket specifically for one thing. Absolutely. I, I did want to mention briefly the Krasinski piece too. Um, this is not based on deep knowledge of having cast him in our sketch comedy group 20 years ago. It is purely just public perception. It's not just that that was a big movie for, for John and his wife to come out last year and good for their careers and they were going to make a lot of money off of it. He wants to be a filmmaker. He is mm-hmm. a filmmaker, right? And all of the positioning of Quiet Place 1 and a film by John Krasinski, Quiet Place 2, a John Krasinski film or whatever it's said at the beginning, he's now the credited writer for it as well. Like this is all part of the larger career building that he's doing, respect to him for doing it. And, and I think this worked out because that was a huge hit, even, you know, it, it sort of dodged the variance when it came out. Sure. But, you know, that's, those are all carefully laid bricks in, in service of a larger career. And that isn't always figured into it. Last thing back to Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson. It does feel, I, I, think, it's, it, I think it's significant that the character does seem done. Mm-hmm. We talked about when we saw the movie, like you could always do more. You could fill it in, like do Bond backstory stuff. Nothing is ever really over. Well, they're in, they're entering into a phase of this Marvel storytelling where like nothing matters because you could just be like, this is the person from a different. It's true, like different reality. Yeah, but, but there was a certain that the whole thing felt final. Not just the character's death in Endgame, but okay, we're going to do this movie because we felt like we should for a while and we have a good idea for it. But also, we're going to low key use it to set up other stuff. And a, and a different character. And, you know, to your point at the very beginning of this, this Pew stole the movie, right? I mean, Scarlett did the movie star thing and held it down like the steady base throughout, like, and she was the hero. But I think, I don't think it's just us that left the experience of watching that movie talking about Florence Pugh and David Harbour's accent and whatever. Right? You think Scarlett like, Johansson did too? She was like, damn, Pew really killed that. <laughs> She's like, Harbor looks delightful in Lycra. Yeah, Did, I, so I, I, it does feel, it feels interesting. It, it, I think that it, it, it's the sort of lawsuit that you, you feel comfortable filing when you're okay walking away from mm-hmm. this, not just this, this income, but just this whole operation. It's, it, you know, I think that we get to certain points with Marvel and Disney and we just look at it as this juggernaut that's never had hiccups, that's never had false mm-hmm. starts, that's never made mistakes. Because even when they make things that don't maybe achieve the highest highs aesthetically or, or in terms of storytelling, they're generally very successful. But I, you know, I thought it was interesting that attached to all this reporting about ScarJo, there were some unconfirmed rumors that Kevin Feige was pretty upset with the way that this was handled on the Disney end, which is... You know, one of the first rumblings you've, you mm. you hear about, like, you know, Trouble in Paradise there. But read Sean Howe's book. You know what I mean? Like, go back through the history of, like, yes. Marvel hasn't always had it all together. And it, in fact, historically never did until and suddenly. The bones of this whole thing, it's it's all built on, like, signing these people up for nine picture deals and, like, kind of, like like, tying them up to these characters and stuff. And then those people being like at certain points being like i've been fucking doing this for a really long time like i feel like i should get dapped up at the end here you should top me off you know 
Absolutely. And Feige's ability to be kind of flexible yeah. and operate outside of how Marvel has operated for years and operate a little bit independently of Disney. I mean, obviously Disney signs the checks and empowers him, but the goodwill that he brought into it and the success he brought into it allowed that to be possible. And time and time again, they have done things that I think in a prior iteration or understanding of Hollywood would have been deemed impossible. Sure. Getting you know, just beginning from like getting major movie stars to just appear for five minutes in other movies to making them TV stars or, you know, everything that they did, moving to Atlanta for a while, like yeah. all of it yeah. is, a, is a sign that anything actually is possible uh, as long as you're making, you know, things with a potential income of over a billion dollars. But yeah, this does feel a little bit old Hollywood in a way that is worth watching. Before we get to White Lotus, I wanted to talk to you about the House of Gucci trailer. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. pe- people may know this. I appear on the big picture with some regularity, uh, and it's a it's an experience that I always cherish. I love the big picture podcast. I, I often listen to it when I am not on, which is uh... <laughs> wow, coming from you. That's um, the highest praise imaginable. We do these movie auctions where we kind of draft. We we, we bid for films that are yet to come out based on our anticipation of them. And in the very first one for 2021, I, uh, I blew quite a, a lot of my stash on House of Gucci. I had a feeling about this movie. Okay. Um, I was right. I haven't seen the movie, but if we just, based on this trailer, move, like this is what I've been waiting for. Like it's, it, you, you, when I saw this trailer, I re- realized like how long it's been since there's just been a non- a cool non-superhero movie theater movie that everybody wants to see. Now, I don't know if everybody wants to see House of Gucci. I don't really care. But just like the absolute heat coming off this one. Finger on the pulse, Ryan, here. I, who could say? I, if I were, I want to yeah. see it. You know, do you want to see it? I have concerns, Chris. Do you? I have concerns. So, ev- so everybody seems picture. to have a Russian accent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, okay, a couple thoughts here. I, I think for people who haven't haven't seen this, you know, uh, Ridley Scott directed this film. He's got two movies coming out this year: Last Story and this. Yeah, this is the movie where the stills, the photographic stills, kind of set the internet on fire mm-hmm. because it's Lady Gaga and Adam Driver just just looking their best, feeding each other Italian eight. pastries. Yeah, <laughs> just in in the Alps. Um, I, I feel like you cut me off at the legs a little bit because. I too, Chris, would like a non-superhero entertainment in the movie theaters that everyone wants to see. I think there are a couple red flags here. I have to be honest with you. And, okay. I, and, and let, me, let me enumerate some of them. One, and this is not necessarily a negative because I think that it speaks to potentially better understanding among peoples in the world, is I wonder if after this trailer dropped, the Italian people now understand what Jewish people feel like when they watch Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> Do you understand what I mean? Like, maybe they felt that way for years because they've seen Chef Boyardee commercials. So, okay, I get it. But Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, funny show. I'm, I, I have enjoyed it. I've thought that the pilot was brilliant, great actors and performers. But it, sometimes it's a challenge for your humble narrator uh-huh. to watch a show where a bunch of goys are like, Oi, get me a schmear. Like, like it's, it's a little oh, so bit like... Brosnahan's not Jewish? No. Is it, how, wait, what's, how's her, what's her last name? Brosnahan. Is that what it is? Yes, question mark. You hear that name, you're like, a lot of syllables. Yeah. She's not Jewish? No. Huh. How about that? Doesn't mean she can't play the part. No, Delightful of course actor. not. Yeah, of course not. 
But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it does feel a little broad. Similarly, watching Adam Driver and Jared Leto, you know, be like, oh, it's a little bit like us. Well, to be fair, to be fair, I feel like yeah. those guys are in one movie and then yes, Pacino and Gaga are in another movie. Pacino and Gaga right. are in the like, that's a spicy meatball movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's true. So, <laughs> so this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the first red flag is a bunch of scenery-chewing actors speaking heavily accented English in a movie yes. set in Italy. Yeah. Okay, that, that's a thing. The next piece about it that made me concerned was, um, Chris, you're a big fan of just watching comedy live. You know, I know this about you. Like, you're always at the Groundlings. You're always at the... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm throwing out scenario ideas all the time. That's the thing. Yeah, like people don't know you're in your a wheelchair, is, but you you know, but you're getting on a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Go. Your middle name is Harold. Yeah. Also, you just described the plot of the American opera, The Death of Klinghoffer, <laughs> which was not a comedy. But regardless, the thing that is kind of compelling, sometimes in a sick masochistic way, when watching like improv comedy, is that if one person. In the scenario, is like, nah, the whole house of Gucci, I mean, house of cards crumbles. And I just feel like this movie, judging by what they cobbled together for the trailer, is just one poorly chosen scene or performance away from becoming the next showgirls, like the next camp classic, which by the way, they're worse worse outcomes. We haven't had one of those either in a while. Like, I can't tell you how little interest I have in like getting to the heart of what happened at Gucci. You know what I mean? Like that's not (laughs) why I'm going to this. I'm going to this for Gaga being like father, son, house of Gucci and being like, (laughs) why do you sound like a Moscovite? (laughs) Like, like Duforsay. I love Mm -hmm. it. Um, Yeah. It's just been, it just feels like it's been a minute. It honestly feels like it's been since stars born that something that's this true. big was happening that didn't have something to do with uh, with Drax and Groot. I, and I also think it's actually the right framing to consider the trailer because we might not actually know what this movie is. The feeling I got from the trailer is that MGM, like every studio, is just trying to figure it out. What, what do people want? How do we get them in the theater? What are we even doing anymore? And one of the ways that they answer that question is we have to cut every trailer like it's a superhero movie mm-hmm. or an action movie at the very least. And the tell that this movie might not be that, even though they're trying to make it that, is not just the, um, you know, the, the, the scenes or that it builds up to her like stirring an espresso cup. It's they're like, it, the whole thing builds to the clearly the one insert shot of a gun sure. that Ridley happened to catch. And, and yet the whole thing is, is set up to kind of build to... To, to making an audience think that this is six underground to seven underground or whatever, right? Yeah. It's not that. So we don't know what it is. The trailer might be, might not be aimed at those of us who have passionately demonstrated for years our love and deep understanding of Italian couture fashion. I don't understand how Ridley Scott is capable of doing this. Like, What a hero. I get overwhelmed when I have two podcasts to do in a day. <laughs> this guy made two feature films in 2021, or at least being released in 2021. One is a like medieval like romance, 
and and dramas with with uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and Jodie Comer. And another is a 1980s fashion industry soap opera. And I just like how does it, how does it, like I, I how does he have the time? How, how old is Ridley these days? He's over eighty. He's got to right? be in his late seventies. Like, yeah, he is eighty three, eighty four this year. Uh huh. Incredible. And I say this with total admiration and respect. One of the great filmmakers and makes everything he does worth seeing. But I do think that if you were to ask people who work with the most successful older directors mm-hmm. like Ridley or Clint Eastwood. I do think they share a particular passion for turning the camera on and turning the camera off. Oh, you know what I mean? And that's lunch. <laughs> and that's lunch. Like he's like, but not in a we don't care about art. No, kind it's of just way, like I've a, seen it all. I got before. it. Yeah. You don't need six I, more takes to get there. Exactly. Right. I know I've got it. And also I trust that the people who created this beautiful set or have dressed this location have done their job. So all I have to do is walk in and say, this is what I want. And I got it. And that's lunch. Yes. And I, and, and I respect that. And I think f- actors really like working with that because they know they're in good hands. But they so, don't, you know, actors wouldn't prefer to do like, not the Fincher amount of takes, but like, don't you think they want a few more than the ones that Clint gives them? Yes. I think often they, I mean, all actors are different, you know, and I remember when I talked to, we both actually, I, I hadn't broached it with her, but when we had Kim Dickens mm-hmm. on the podcast the first time, the first thing you wanted to talk to her about was working with Fincher. And cause you hear these horror stories that some actors just break under his demand of like take after take after take. And she was like, I'm one of the people who loves it. I want to keep going. I want to keep finding it. And there are other actors who are like, I got it. I also like lunch, but right. I also think above anything else, what actors want is someone secure and trustworthy driving the bus yeah. because they are just throwing themselves at the mercy of, I mean, again, not many people have sympathy for that, but it is, it, it's a big deal to be that vulnerable and show up on set in Milan or whatever and wear those clothes and be like, wait, what am I doing? And they want someone who has successfully driven the bus or landed the plane before and they want confidence. And if the confidence is demonstrated by saying, trust me, I've got it. Or if the confidence is saying, we're not leaving here until we agree that we got it. As long as the person is evincing confidence sure. or uh, security, then, then, then it's a go. Do you feel that way under my direction on this podcast? Most days. Yeah. Most days. I mean, I, I think that longtime listeners can tell when I'm starting to, when I get the wandering eye. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, before we talk about White Lotus, do you want to talk a little bit about this Joseph Adelian piece about the Olympics and Peacock? Well, I just thought it was pretty interesting because... Um, so there was a piece on Vulture, you can find it, we can put it in yeah. the, the thread for the for the show, about whether or not what had happened so far in the Olympics were a, a little bit more than halfway through the Olympics at this point, was the worst case scenario for NBC Universal and their, and their situation with Peacock, with their various streaming services that are showing it, with all the channels that are showing it, and then mm-hmm. the mothership primetime Mike Dorico standing in front of the in front of the, the the flames and being like here we go Simone Biles except no Simone Biles well that's the thing yeah yeah and I think that as usual I think Joe does a very good job of sort of making plain what's going on behind the sort of smoke screen of numbers and um well this kind of, of I, the reason why I wanted to talk about it is because I feel like it kind of ties into the Scarlett Johansson story in a weird way because it's another it thing does. where people would might look at the Olympic ratings and Joseph makes a very good point which is that the Olympics are still doing better than everything else they're just not doing as well as previous Olympics but when you get into like but it's driving peacock subs well then you're like what does that mean and what does that mean for the IOC or for the, you know, like, do people care about that? 
I think the other thing that it does very plainly that I appreciate it is just is really spell out how drastic how drastically different the television ratings world is in 2021 versus the last time there was an Olympics. And, and we rarely get into the weeds of like Nielsen ratings for overnights on broadcast shows. So this came as a shock even to me, but five years ago, 2016, the Rio Olympics, big primetime shows, hit shows. Uh, and maybe one of the reasons I'm not aware of this is because I, I, it's already been six years almost since I stopped being a regular TV critic, but five years ago, hit shows, in the demo, which is such a weird term, but that's what people look at. It's not the overall number of viewers that advertisers care about. It's the number of viewers that are in that key 18 to 49 year old advertising demo that the people that they want to reach. So key shows five years ago were still getting threes and Mm -hmm. fours in that. Now a hit show is getting a 0.6, a 0.9, a one. I mean, it's, it's a completely different era and it happened really quickly. And so his overall point is that it might, NBC Universal may have overpaid in one sense for this huge billion, multi-billion dollar bet on holding the Olympics for the next 11 years. But their evening packages with, I love how you describe it, Mike Tirico standing in front of the flames. <laughs> the last thing you see before you slip under. The Olympic um, torch, I, I, I messed is, that up, yeah. Is f- four times higher their ratings than other things that are on broadcast TV right now this summer. So they would take that, even if the numbers are lower than, as he suggests, or at least surmises, even lower than what they had promised major advertisers, which might lead to them losing money in the future. We won't know this, of course, but something called make goods, which is basically being like, sorry, Toyota, yeah. your ad didn't reach a number of people. So now you can have would. some so Sunday night football. For, for Super Bowl, if they have yeah. it or whatever. Um, did you them down the line. You've been to Tokyo, right? I've been to Tokyo, been to Tokyo. Is yeah. there, is there, what's the famous, mar- I've never been, is there, what's the famous like street market in Tokyo? Is there one? Well, one of the best places, it's not a market, but one of the best places to, to visit um, in the Shinjuku region is the, is, and I won't say it in the original Japanese, but it is referred to as Piss Alley, ah. where there's so many bars and little like yakitori joints and uh, people get really drunk there. I, I imagine that's not what you're saying. Well, cause Maybe you're speaking <laughs> of like the Skiji fish market, but. Yeah, I think so because. I think it is because Tariko did a, a walk and talk from a, a fish market last night, yesterday mm-hmm. morning, I guess, for him or this morning for him. And he was walking and it was just immaculate. Like I was trying to imagine the Philadelphia Italian market like and what it would look like under similar circumstances. And Tariko's just walking and then like he's like, oh, and you know, uh, you could uh, you could just get sushi that's just a few hours from the ocean. Uh, in this place and there's a guy in the background and it's like one of the only two people like in the shot because of they're having like a lot of covid so like it's 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 pretty locked down there and there's a dude with just his his hands uh Mm. kind of freshening up a giant vat of of raw fish like straight up it's the postscript from the north water it's like what happens next it sounds great and (laughs) i i I would watch that show but but then what did he do what did he do throw to like judo and then he was just like we gotta we gotta check in on these these 200 meter men's semifinals i'll say that one of the things that might be i don't think it's hopefully it's not frustrating for our audience but as everything we talk about in entertainment now falls under the rubric of the um, long-term shareholder pleasing machinations of multinational corporations it doesn't make our job harder, but it does make it more repetitive in which everything is pushed forward, right? And there are no failures can be admitted because if, if you admit failure for a shareholder, then 
shareholder confidence tanks and your company tanks. So everything has to be pivoted through the decisions are made now in the moment, but they are only ever judged not through the, the not through the the lens of the moment they were made or even the present, but future. Mm-hmm. So you could second guess the decision by NBC to put $8 billion into being the home of the Olympics when ratings were cratering, when they knew that, for example, the next major Olympics was in Tokyo, which is a 13-hour time difference. So with the internet the way it is, everything is going to be spoiled to the majority of the people in the key 18 to 49-year-old demo. You could second guess that or third guess that or fourth guess that. And then you could keep doing it when the Olympics get delayed a year and then there are no fans. And then the, some of the U.S. national teams don't do as well as people expect. And then Simone Biles withdraws from almost every event, although I just saw this morning that she's, she's going to compete. apparently going to do that. Yeah. You can second guess all that, but they're not going to do that. I mean, that would be to admit failure. Instead, they're saying this is a key part of our strategy to X, Y, and Z with Peacock and to you know dominate the space and we're still getting the numbers. And so it's just a, it's just a constant churn of almost like the hands churning the raw fish. That's the spin of all this. And I think it's kind of too soon to say a week or two weeks ago, I was going to, I was happily based on almost nothing, going to say like, this whole thing is a mistake. Now, Chris, I am perhaps the East Coast leading armchair expert in synchronized diving. <laughs> like I, I can spot a successful dive. I can tell you what the sound you want the divers to make yeah, as no they splash, rip through the water. Yeah. No splash, you know, like, like a drum being, like a snare drum being hit. So that is still the appeal of the Olympics. And it feels sort of weird to also say, I, I, guess, I guess I'll just leave it at this. I still think it should be easier. I still don't really understand the whole thing of like you, it's all spoiled instantly by going to any website. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you want to watch it live, you have to go to Peacock, but you also still have to have some, well, if you, you want to watch it, if you want to watch it live, cable. you have to get up at five in the morning, you know, and that's, right. that's the thing is that there's the day's events are happening like, here's a spoiler, because probably by the point time this pod goes up, nobody mm-hmm. in the world is really going to not know this. The United States women's national team lost to Canada today in soccer. Big deal. But it happened at 8 in the morning on the East Coast, so it happened in the basically mm-hmm. like night to morning on the West Coast. I think it happened later. I think it was 1 a.m. on the East Coast. It was an early match. Was it? I think that's when it kicked off. At least that's what my my phone told me. Oh, yeah, you must be right. You, you know what? You're right. I think I'm thinking of the men's basketball, which is next weekend and when they're going to be playing. Mm-hmm against Spain. So like they, that this is over, like they've already done the gamers, like the, mm-hmm. the, the quotes are out. I'm assuming that would be something that they would be featuring throughout the day. If not making it a big part of their primetime broadcasting tonight, it's over. Like they lost one, nothing and they can't it, keep an that. Impossible so that's out, right? Like there is some stuff that happens that they've scheduled for the morning in Japan to happen in primetime of the East coast. But it's it's a tough it's a tough time zone. I mean, like I somebody who's covered a couple of international soccer tournaments, like the ones that are just vaguely on the Western Hemisphere time, like it's just really hard to be to be covering something that's being broadcast from Asia. There's there's no way to make it okay because as a I am a I would consider myself to be a fan of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. I love watching matches. I love watching them with my kids, and because I am a fan, I follow the USWNT on Instagram, for example. Mm-hmm. I went to bed noting that there was a match that I was excited about happening in a few hours and went to bed. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up groggily, it was like, oh, let's let's see the latest Delta numbers slash look at social media. I forgot that 
the first six posts on my Instagram feed would be like tough loss. Yeah, right. Right. Proud to hold our heads high, going for the bronze. Like it's done. It's done for me. I mean, I can still watch the match, but that's done now. And I don't know if there is a workaround for events like that. And I don't think that maybe in 10 years or whatever, these multinationals, maybe there'll only be two by then. And Comcast, Universal, Twitter, Disney will, you know, jointly understand how to communicate this information to us in a way that is easier for the consumer, but probably truly awful for the earth. But we're not, we're still not there. And that's part of this experience as well. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you want to talk about White Lotus before we get out of here? Yes. What number episode was this? Four. I feel... I feel a little bit like it's unfair to be doing week to week with a show. Oh yeah, I was just point. I was just curious. I actually don't have a ton to say about this episode. N- n- not that we're, yeah, I didn't mean we shouldn't do it cuz I don't have a ton to say either. It's just that the show is the show. The things that I have spent some moments in the last few weeks celebrating are definitely also slightly bringing down my week-to-week enjoyment of it, one of the biggest being 
the show is about these characters who behave in this way and they sort of spiral down. Mm -hmm. There is no surprise yet. And I think we've talked about this the other week. Surprise is an overrated element, I think, of drama and certainly of TV storytelling. I really appreciate the opportunity to really dig into these roads or whatever divots that these characters are driving that Mike White is driving them and then just stick with it and stick with it. And that's sort of his filmmaking style as a whole, right? Like put something uncomfortable on the table and then make five characters look at the uncomfortable thing or talk about it for almost too long Mm -hmm. before we cut away to Hawaiian fire dancing and then cut back again. Even the way the act outs are framed, as I'm realizing, feel out of step with the way this story wants to be told. What are the act outs? What are act outs? So for example, last week's episode ended with Olivia, Sidney Sweeney's character, seeing Paula in flagrante delicto with Kai Mm. and sort of reacting to that and walking away. Um, This week's episode ended with Shane being like, oh, I'm going to destroy Armand. Mm -hmm. Those feel, those are appropriate places to cut to commercial or to break up the story. But in a um, week to week era, you know, if you think about the way Mayor of Easttown ended, very different shows. Sure. But that seemed at this point, it's actually, maybe we're all PhDs in this now, but those weeks ended with, oh my God, wait, we thought we were going West, but we're going East. White Lotus isn't that show, but I I am actually kind of noticing myself chafing against the, well, that's going to be a big issue. It's not going to be the biggest issue. The, The show isn't paced for that. Sure. And it, I, I'm actually realizing as I'm talking to you, I can't believe this, but I may finally be moving to the other side of the ledger, which is to say a show like this maybe should have just been put up. I love the week to week. Sure. And I enjoy having it every Sunday. I actually don't know if I could sit through two episodes of White Lotus at once. It's, it's, it's a lot for me, even though I'm enjoying it. it. That, that, that's kind of a, it's weird that that is like always the go-to way of thinking about mass releases because i think mm-hmm. that when you get a binge release especially of a genre show so like a mystery or a superhero show mm-hmm. were you to get all of the episodes of the boys which they don't do but you, you know what i mean like if you have them all you almost are like it's a race to the clock olympic style to get to the end of this so that i can experience whatever twists are going to happen in this show before it gets mm-hmm. spoiled on on twitter the morning and i don't watch mandalorian for 15 minutes and and everybody tells me what happened um white lotus like i wouldn't necessarily ever watch more than one at a time but i might, might watch three in a week you know what i mean yes that's right that's right and i think that um you know the it's pleasures which are numerous um you know it, it it's it's weird. It's weird to say this. I think that this is, this is actually, and, and we can, I'd, I'd, there are a couple of things I'd like to talk about specifically in the show because I realize we're slipping into a kind of meta, how we talk about TV on a podcast conversation about it. Mm-hmm. But I, I am noticing that, that like the, the pleasures of the show, which are numerous, don't stand out enough to be like, okay, here's an inflection point. Like, like Jennifer Coolidge's character thinking that the dude she meets works for black lives matter is really funny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's not the episode. It's much more than that. Um, I think the thing I wanted to say about the episode first and foremost is, um, I didn't know of all the things this show could be, and it's many things, you know, it's an incisive, uh, dissection of how certain segments of society talk about society. Now it's beautiful showcase of Hawaii, smart, 
for COVID, just a lot of good things going for it. I did not also understand that it was a horror show. <laughs> and when uh, Shane's mother shows up on the honeymoon, <laughs> I felt the same way I felt when I read the hereditary wiki. And I right. say this not particularly in any way meant to be a dig against my own mother-in-law. I mean it to be a dig against all mothers. <laughs> this is a sure. and them showing up on, on yeah. the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone's mother. Yeah. Uh, truly horrific and nightmarish. Don't know if I slept well because of it. How, how did you react to that moment? And also what it says, not just about uh, families, but where the show is going. And also Mike White's deep, deep love of a particularly type of comedic actress. Yeah, well, Molly Shannon obviously Molly Shannon and Jennifer Coolidge are, are repeat customers with Mike White. I thought that the the thing I loved about that, aside from just the hilarious um, cringe of it, was he's so good. In the same way that we were talking about a couple weeks ago with the first episode of the second season of Ted Lasso, like Mike White is also just a very good brick and mortar writer when it comes to mm -hmm. TV. And very much he's so. very good at putting the Alexandra Daddario character in a situation where she is seeing different versions of her future self, whether it's the Connie Britton character or the Molly Shannon character. Yeah. And I think the same goes for, you know, he's just, he's writing like this sort of cross-generational comedy drama where all of these people start out maybe a little bit more idealistic, the most of which being the Sydney Sweeney character and then kind of decay over time until they wind up being Jennifer Coolidge and crying mm -hmm. on a boat. And, you know, I think that he's just... That's what I was most impressed by. As far as like, I, I'm still kind of caught up on like the Jake Lacey characters sort of like torpedoing his own honeymoon because he's obsessed with the quality of the room he got mm -hmm. is something that I, uh, <laughs> I recognize. <laughs> Not in myself. Let's just put it that yes. way. <laughs> I, I think that um, the reason, the other reason why I'm kind of equivocating and just kind of pausing to see how the show works out is that I think it's, it's too soon to tell a lot of things. And I think that what Mike White is incredibly good at, and I mean this genuinely, I think most people are not good at this, most writers, and, and, and also whether they're good at it or not, I don't think they're as interested in it, which is he's just sort of laser focused on revealing how selfish everyone always is, ultimately is. Not necessarily in a judgmental way, just that that's what the human animal does, you know, and the idea of human, humans as animals. I mean, that's in the episode when Steve Zahn keeps talking about how baboons behave in the wild or whatever. Every character here knows better on some level, but torpedoes themselves because of self-interest, self-regard, old behavior, model behavior, et cetera, et cetera. That is well-observed and I think sadly accurate, mm -hmm. both in my own experience of life and just in art that comes close to it or is interested in, in, in reflecting that. What I'm curious about going forward is, is there anything past that? The show has no obligation to say that there is, but I'm realizing that in my own experience with things, I guess I kind of do want, this isn't exactly a fairy tale ending, but I'm interested in the dramatic storytelling I see to be shown something that I don't always see, which is the potential chance of redemption or change. Um, but what if there's, I find that, what if this is just purgatory? I mean, <laughs> it's a perfect rejoinder. Because this is the non-genre version of, I mean, I'm basically saying, can this be a superhero story? Yeah, I know. Where a ordinary person can transform by the end. And uh, this isn't Mare. It's funny to bring it up, but that was kind of the leap that mm -hmm. Mare attempted to take in the end that I found very moving. And I didn't have time for people being like, that's not realistic. Well, yeah, it's a television show on sure. HBO. Right. 
the Mike White project is is elevated, um, you know, in a, in a bunch of ways. I think it's it's sometimes it's it's cartoony in the humor, or cringy, or broad, or bright, and that's great because it's a TV show and he's a creative person. But I do think I, I'm curious to see where he goes with all these characters who have been circling the same drains they brought with them when they got on that boat. Yeah, I mean, that, and that is sort of everybody thinks they're going to leave themselves behind when they go on vacation, but they just take yeah. a more amplified version of themselves there. That's a good point. Let's uh, we can wrap it up there. We will be back on Thursday discussing a, a number of things. We'll also have a special guest on Thursday. Uh, Andy, by the way, Chris, I- I'm in whaling country right now, so I may just behave like Drax for the next couple of days and see how it gets me. In Long Island, you might it might go over great. I feel like judging by some of the people I've seen, it would. I got to be honest with you. Have a great uh, rest of your week. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Great job, Bransky. Thanks, Kaya McMullen. Thank you, Kaya McMullen. I forgot to say thank you to Kaya McMullen, who is our producer. And does not support Baby Seal Clubbing, as far as we know. Absolutely not.